Welcome to Sparks of History, where world history and Jewish history meet. We are very pleased to have with us today award-winning author Tom Clavin. Mr. Clavin's books have been bestsellers on the New York Times bestsellers list. They include Dodge City, The Heart of Everything That Is, Halsey's Typhoon, and The Last Stand of Fox Company. Other works by Mr. Clavin include the popular Wild Bill, All Blood, Blood Runs Red, Valley Forge, the DiMaggio's, Lucky 666, Last Man Out, Gil Hodges, Roger Maris, Being Ted Williams, and Reckless. Today we will be discussing a page turner, uh, Blood and Treasure, Daniel Boone and the Fight for America's First Frontier, uh, which Mr. Clavin wrote together with author Bob Drury. It's a wonderful book, extremely detailed, and just it gives you a, such a great picture of America during that, that period. I simply went on to Amazon, purchased it, was delivered right away. So I encourage all our listeners and viewers to um, get a hold of uh, Mr. Clavin's great book, Blood and Treasure. And we'll get right to it. Um, a little bit about your background and how you became interested in Daniel Boone. You know, Daniel Boone was a little bit of a latecomer to the book Blood and Treasure. And I have to obviously have to explain that since his name's in the subtitle. But uh, ever since we had published, Bob Drury and I had done The Heart of Everything That Is about the Plains Indians in the 1850s and 1860s. And that was published in 2013. I really wanted to return to uh, telling more about the history of, of the Native Americans in our country. And the heart of everything that is, is kind of like a covering the, the, the end stage of really our, our centuries long war against the Native American population in, in this country. And I was more, I was interested. I said, I hope there's going to be an opportunity to maybe go back to sort of like the beginning where the blueprint was created for uh, the eventual takeover and, and, and near annihilation of, of the original population of this land. And uh, we were starting to, we were considering doing something that would involve the Indian leader Tecumseh and the Shawnee. And then we found out while we were starting to prepare to go in that direction and, and cover that period, in the early, early 1800s, uh, we found out that Peter Cousins, who is a terrific writer, and some people might know him for his book, uh, The Earth is Weeping, about, about the American Indian population. Uh, we found out he was working on a book, which, which got published um, last year called Tecumseh and the Prophet. So uh, since we greatly admire Peter Cousins, we realized that blew us out of the water. So we wanted to focus then and go a little bit earlier, focus on maybe the middle part of the 1700s, late 1700s, and we were looking for an Indian leader who, like Red Cloud in the heart of everything that is, would be our guide into the story. And we considered several of them who do appear in the book. Um, Dragging Canoe, Blackfish, uh, Hanging Maw, uh, Cornstalk. There's a whole r roster of very colorful Indian character names in the book. But Daniel Boone kept popping up uh, as a, a figure that uh, seems to be present through all many of the major events that took place on America's first frontier 
in the 1740s, 1750s, through the American Revolution, into the 1800s. And the more we researched into Daniel Boone, we realized that a lot of people probably don't know too much about the real Daniel Boone. I mean, even, you know, since the book has been published, the, the, the reaction of a lot of people has been, I knew about Daniel Boone because of the TV show. Uh, you know, people of a certain age will remember that there's a Daniel Boone TV show and Fess Parker played Daniel Boone. And that's that Daniel Boone Indian fighter is, is the, the image that most people have. And so there was so much more to Daniel Boone's, uh, not only his character, but also his importance to American history at that time that we were delighted that we could combine our interest in reemerging ourselves in, in the world of the you know, American Indian and also, re, I think, reveal to people a very iconic fascinating character that most people really don't know. They know the name. They don't know the person. What were the early influences, perhaps the Quaker influences that shaped Daniel Boone and his family? Well, Daniel Boone's family was part of the Quaker church or religion, uh, they sort of had it. There's a schism there because uh, Squire Boone, um, I, I, sh- I should put it differently, uh, uh, George Boone, who was Daniel Boone's grandfather, uh, uh, was and his wife were were very involved with the Quaker religion. They, they they lived in Pennsylvania. Daniel Boone was born in Pennsylvania, not Kentucky or Tennessee or any of those places that he's usually associated with. And uh, but. Uh, what happened with, uh, with, with Squire Boone, who's Daniel's father, is that there was, uh, he had a daughter who married outside the Quaker faith. And when they tried to censure him and censure his children, uh, that's when he broke away from the, the Quaker religions and went off on his own. However, by that time, Daniel Boone himself had, had, had been influenced by the Quakers. One of them, I think, perhaps the most important one being that... Uh, he did not develop a uh, hatred for Indians as many of his contemporaries did. I mean, for many people of that time, uh, Indians were, you know, at best in the way and had to be pushed aside. But at worst, they were they needed to be eradicated. Uh, even some some of the more enlightened people, Thomas Jefferson is one. Uh, there's statements, and we have certainly one in the book that talks about that they need to be exterminated. Uh, get rid of them. Uh, they're they're an inferior race, and they're only preventing us from what uh, succeeding and what eventually later got to be called manifest destiny. So I think a very important influence of, of, of being a Quaker on Daniel Boone in his young life, anyway, was a, a more eager acceptance of people, which included people of different colors and different other other religions. What was Boone's personality like? You had mentioned iconic. The Boone the man in, in, in his everyday dealings, the personality. Well, what was delightful for Bob Drury and me is that we found him to be a really intriguing and appealing man. Uh, he was kind of a man out of his time in that um, he, like I said, he, he did not have the dislike of, of Indians. He was, the, the Indians uh, who... Uh, they, they, they called him they, a couple of different nicknames. Basically, they, they called Daniel Boone the wide mouth because he, he, he had a great sense of humor. And even with the Indians, he would laugh. They would 
in their in their ways they could communicate that would tell stories to each other. To, to, for a lot of times, for people to see, to encounter Daniel Boone was to encounter somebody who enjoyed smiling. He enjoyed life to the fullest. He was uh, very devoted to his wife Rebecca. I mean, they were married for fifty six years, uh, and uh, very devoted to his children, and uh, two of whom uh, during the, the book uh, uh, were killed and uh, caused him great grief. Um, he was a, an adventurer. Uh, he was somebody who was very comfortable in the, in the forest. Uh, he used to say, I, I, I never, never got lost uh, in, in, the, in the woods. I just had to sometimes, you know, uh, remember where I was. Uh, so uh, people could trust him. People found him as a natural leader. Uh, he was loyal to family and friends. Uh, so there were a lot of really appealing characteristics about Daniel Boone. And he was always curious uh, I, I, I'm convinced one of the reasons why he had as long a life as he did, I mean, he was, I think, just short of his 86th birthday when he died, which was extraordinarily long for a man at that time, uh, was that he always wondered what was on the next horizon. What was, what was on the, over that other hill? Uh, oh, I, I'm encountering somebody. I'd like to hear their story and find out more about their life. I have a feeling that's, that those, that kind of curiosity can, can extend one's life. So talking about Boone's relationship with Native Americans, with, with the Indians, uh, his lack, lack of dislike, had he been um, in a more influential position, perhaps a more political position, could events have been different in, in the American frontier as it relates to Native Americans? Could people like that have changed what happened? That's a good question. I don't think we've been asked that one before. Um, I think, well, first of all, Boone was, for the most part, apolitical. So it's kind of hard to envision him. I, you know, even though he did serve some, uh, uh, had a couple of terms as a uh, first a Virginia lawmaker and then as a North Carolina lawmaker, uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't embrace one political position. Uh, and he wasn't a particularly partisan politician at all. And he was too busy making a living to get involved in, in, in politics. Uh, he, he let other people who had time on their hands uh, do that. He was most comfortable in the woods. But I think even if he had become a, a, a person of some influence politically, uh, because he was such the, an exception to the rule, uh, I don't know that things would have been different, certainly not, not on a broad scale for, for the Native American population in this country. Uh, he may have person by person, group by group, uh, gotten them to maybe view Native Americans as not being savages, which is a term often used to describe them, as not being ignorant. I mean, when he grew up, as he was growing up on the edge of the frontier and encountered Indians, he recognized right away that there, many of these people were very intelligent people. And he, he adopted their ways of survival skills. He adopted how they dressed. Uh, how they survived this, this skills in shooting and hunting. Uh, so he had enormous respect for Indians because he, he you know, yeah, they didn't write down, they didn't keep diaries. Okay. <laughs> and, they, and they didn't get in, involved in, in politics necessarily. And there's, there's so many white man things they did not do. Uh, a lot of white men thought that that meant, okay, they're not that intelligent and they're not civilized. But when Boone, Boone could see from the Indian point of view, how, 
intelligent and cultured they were. So he would have, he certainly would have been a very good person to try to make a difference if he had been that in a position to do so. But I think that the tide was certainly in the other direction against him in that, in that field. What would have been the, the Boone model of cooperation and in other words, you have this thrust going westward. You had all, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that eventually, obviously, went across transverse the United States. They needed land. You had the Native Indians with their, you know, hunting grounds. What, what would have been his model? And could that model have worked? Not sure what you mean by model. Do you mean like uh, what was his? What was his way of doing things? No, no, no. If, if he had his way, if, if he had his way, given, given how he approached and how he viewed Native Americans, would, would that have been a, you know, United States of America, the white man cooperating in partnership with the Native Americans? Is, is, is that the Boone model? Or is it, you know, every man just has to do what he has to do his family? Okay, I, I understand. Yeah, that, that that is an interesting question. I think uh, Boone was somebody who believed. I mean, as much as he admired and respected the the, the Indians, and uh, cooperated with them, hunted with them, uh, was friends with them. Uh, I think, I, I think he felt that it was probably unlikely that white men and Native Americans could coexist. Um, he saw that their cultures were so different, their outlooks were so different. He could also see that the, uh, the, the increasing numbers of white people uh, in the Ohio Valley, in Tennessee, in Kentucky, uh, were overwhelming the Native American population. And, and, and three different significant ways. One was that some uh, factions, some bands, some parts of tribes, they just picked up and left. They said, we, we, can't, we can't compete with the white man and we'd rather not get into a war with the white man. So we're just gonna go. We're just gonna go West and find some place where there's no white man. Uh, the other way that they, they, that, that, uh, they, they reacted was there was uh, conflict, armed conflict. And not only were there more and more white men, but there were more and more technologically advanced weapons, just as one thing, for example. Uh, the other big impact that the white men had on, on the Native American population was the transmitting of disease, uh, smallpox, cholera, other diseases that uh, were common among the white pop European descent white population but the Native American population had never encountered these diseases before. They had zero immunity to them. And I, I'm including in that alcohol too. Uh, they had no immunity to alcohol. Uh, al alcoholism became a rather serious disease among the Native American population. Uh, in our other book, The Heart of Everything That Is, our main character, Red Cloud, his father died of alcoholism when he was only five years old. So I think Daniel Boone was, was smart enough to realize that uh, continued coexistence or any kind of coexistence would eventually mean the demise of whatever of that native american population or the absorption into the white population what he thought was the answer basically is that since he knew from his travels there was so much land out there that 
can the white men just take up to a certain point? Let's say to the Mississippi River, or at worst, maybe up to the Missouri River. And then you leave the rest of rest of whatever, however much land is out there, leave the rest of that to the Native Americans. Everybody could be happy. We white men have tons of land to farm and hunt on. Native Americans have tons of land to hunt on. So I think towards the end of his life, clearly, uh, he he did not die until 1834. I think it was. No, he was born in 34. He died in 1820 something. Um, I think that he saw that what later became known as Manifest Destiny was sort of like incessant and unavoidable. Uh, you know, we have a quote in the book by uh, an English uh, uh, governor who said that Americans are so restless. You know, they get to, they, they get to the other side of one hill and be, they barely pause before they're wondering what's on the side of the next hill. And, and, and so uh, I don't know if Daniel Boone foresaw the extent to which the white population would, would take over the, the American mainland, but uh, he had to believe that it was, it was, it was happening. And certainly by his old age, there's nothing he can do about it. 